It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 25th day of June, 2014. We're here with our uh, co-host, Bob Walsh, uh, he, uh, Robert Walsh, he's, he's the uh, attorney for uh, veterans. If you need a good attorney, you certainly want to give his office a call. And our technician, Stretch, uh, he's going to uh, keep her technical stuff going here. And uh, uh, let me give out our call-in number uh, right off the bat in case someone has a question or a comment. Our call-in number is 347-237-4819. Our call-in number, once again, is 347 237 4819. Uh, how are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing great. And just uh, uh rainy, nice rainy day here in Michigan. It's cool. Hopefully it's going to warm up and and clear out for the 4th of July celebration. But uh we're we're keeping busy up here. We just did an appeal for a uh, a combat infantryman from from Vietnam who got turned down on diabetes. So I, I guess if you're if you had any thoughts about uh, the claims processing getting better, you can think again. <laughs> oh my! Uh, did he win it? Well, no. He he got turned down on diabetes. On and he's diabetes. A, he's a, he's a Vietnam vet with a CIB. <laughs> in in that. This VA will it ever change? I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that. Of course, w- oh. one of the guys that was leading the charge on change was was uh, General Eric Shinseki, Secretary Shinseki, and we lost him since the last time I was on the show. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to do a shout out. I want everybody to know that although the secretary and I sometimes disagreed. Uh, about things usually it was it was how fast and and how high rather than which direction uh, things were going uh, I felt that he should have been a little more aggressive at firing some of the people at the VA that uh, are obstructionist or just doing anti-veteran things but uh, you know that was it wasn't it wasn't a disagreement about about firing him, it was how fast, um, and he did get rid of a lot of the dead wood out of the agency. I think when the when the final report is written, the after action report is written, I think that Eric Shinseki is going to go down as the best Secretary of Veterans Affairs since uh, the department was formed in '88. Well, I I feel like. Uh... And I felt like all along it, it wasn't him as much as it was uh, his trusted personnel he had under him. I, I, I think they were lying to him all along uh, on different issues, and he wasn't uh, dealing with 
with the straight of things. I mean, you got to have the true facts before you, you can make a rational decision. Right. That was one of the things. And, and people just, you know, for the average guy outside, you don't understand how big and how fouled up an agency it is. And there's there's hundreds. One of the guys said, that, you know, uh, one of my friends was talking about hiring veterans. Well, as you know, there's veterans and then there's veterans. Yes. And there's a lot of these uh, executives at VA that they're veterans all right, but they're over there uh, retired in place, you know. Uh, That's just where they went to put their feet up and draw another salary. But you don't want them to work too. I mean, gosh. So there's a lot of veterans. who are in the VA system as employees who really aren't productive. In fact, a lot of them are counterproductive. Now, one of the things that happened here about three weeks ago, a young lady came in here, and she's a 10th Mountain Division veteran. And she's a college student now, and she's having some trouble with her VA. So she came in for some help, and we were signing her in, and and uh, she had her backpack, and she had all of her ducks in a row. She had all the information she needed, but I asked her one date. I asked her for a date, and she didn't have it. And she pulled her, she pulled her, her telephone out of her pocket, and she opened up her telephone, and she clicked on something, and then she gave me that date. She had an app for my e-benefits on her telephone. Uh. Now, the, what's going on now with the Pentagon and the VA? They finally got this records thing straightened out, and we're going to talk about your personal medical records in just a second. But they finally got this this agreement. So when somebody separates from service, now they get a CD. And on that CD, they get all their finance records, all their personnel records, all their medical records, and their inpatient hospital records, the whole Megillah. Plus, if they've been boarded out, I guess they get their board proceedings and all that. So all that stuff is on a disc. And as you know, a lot of these VA cases go on for 10 years just playing hunt hunt for the records and fool around. So that business is gone now. In other words, you're, you, we've moved past that era where the big lie about, oh, we lost your records or we burned them up or whatever. That's For these young people now, that's, that's gone. And then they can get on my benefits and my healthy vet. They can get right on there and get access to their records and their file and see what's going on. And... One of the things we've noticed around the office here, it used to take us years to get a veteran's claims file. I mean, it was an elaborate deal. It took several letters. You never could get them. Now we're getting them, you know, in a couple months, sometimes even weeks. So that's wonderful. That's a tremendous change because now you can get the file and you can actually review it and see what's been done in there and what needs to be done. You know, that's the starting point normally in the law business, getting a hold of the record is the, is the start point. That's the first thing you do. And the way it's worked around here over the years is we've, we've got guys 100% benefits before we were ever able to get our hands on the file to look at. Huh. 
because you can't stop the parade, hold up the parade, just because you don't have the file. You have to keep marching forward, you know. But uh, we like to have the file. We like to see what needs to be done. I mean, that's the that's the logical way to do it. And, of course, because we don't have it, sometimes we, you know, we push ahead on claims that should be dropped or something, but we we have to keep going until we know that there's no merit to the claim. So that's uh that's the I, I think the automation of this of these records is gonna be the big standing monument to Secretary Shinseki. You're gonna you're gonna really see the benefits of that start kicking in. Um, I I don't know if the if the twenty fifteen backlog resolution target was realistic. I will say without General Shinseki's paratrooper boot kicking him in the in the tail, I suspect that uh those people will slow down now, you know, because I think that he was uh, he was the important driving force in getting some performance out of these folks. And now uh, they're drifting, you know, they've got an acting secretary and and all this focus is over on the, the health system. So that's my comment about General Shinseki. I think I, I think the veterans were all blessed that he was willing to to accept the appointment to be the secretary. I'm sorry he didn't finish out the term and take the train into the station, but he certainly shook the bushes real well and woke up the birds. And I think that we'll we'll reap a lot of benefits from it over the coming years. So that's what I've got to say about that. Now that segues into this hospital uh, flap that's going on around the country, hospital scheduling and capacity and all those things. Now I, I will make a, a comment. I think that some of you noticed that the same people that are now hollering from the rooftops about uh, the terrible things going on in the VA and how horrible it is just before the election comes up are the same people a couple months ago that voted against the money to expand the health system. Yeah. I, I don't think you can have it both ways. Either you're for it or you're against it. You know, you ought to have to sort of pick sides here. Uh, so there's a, a lot of the same people you now hear talking on the news. Uh, people need to go back and look at their voting records and say, hey, wait a minute, how come you voted down the money for the for the expansion of the VA hospitals a couple months ago and now you're and more doctors, and and now you're complaining because there's scheduling delays. The two things sort of are related. Well, absolutely. You know, yeah. and and these guys, the public, uh, you know, never asked the the right question. Now, VA hospital, the VA healthcare system as a system is apparently the the most efficient. And one of the best, the best run, or one of the best run in the country. Now, back in the 90s, I think early 90s or maybe 89, they signed on with the Joint Commission for the Accreditation of Hospital Organizations, JACO. And what JACO is is uh, uh, they're like an inspector general for hospitals, but but you you buy into it. In other words, it's like being certified, you know. Our garage is certified. You know, we're we're inspected and we pass tests, and we're we're a certified garage. And 
so JACO is the certification organization for hospitals, and what they do is, is every three years they come to your hospital and do like an old military IG inspection. The trick is that they change, just like the IG used to do in the Army. I don't know what they do in the Navy and the Air Force, but what the IG would do with us is they'd come around, they might change the emphasis. So they were there, the last time they were there, they were looking to see if your accounts were all set up in your filing system. And then they might be, their focus might be on vehicle logbooks, and they might be just tearing those things apart, you know, and getting down into individual logbooks and looking at those. So they pick out some different topic they're going to look at each time, and they're going to look at it in great detail. Well, JACO does this. They they change their focus. So they come, and, and when they, they give you a gig list, um, I was at a... Uh, worked at a VA medical center here, and when I came, they had just had their first JACO review, and they had 330 deficiencies. And when they were when they were reviewed three years later, they only had 30. And of course, they were new to the system. That was their first time, and so they had to, you know, get with it. But they were able to clear up all those deficiencies and straighten that out. Now that was good for the employees and that was good for the that was good for the patients. So Jayco's a good thing. And there's no fussing about it. And I'll tell you if that if if you get a bunch of gigs on that Jayco inspection, you know, heads are gonna roll. That is a serious thing, believe me, they were they were jumping through hoops at that medical center I worked at when they had those three hundred gigs. They formed a task force and they went after it. And they got those worked down and got rid of them. And so when they were, and, and it's not just them saying that they did it; they were reinspected. Okay, so the team comes back and checks and say, okay, yeah, that's now that's good, and we can check that off. So this is a good process. And whoever, uh, and I, and I hate to say it, but I think that was back during um, maybe Principi's first tenure that that he signed uh, signed the department up for for Jayco. So JACO's a good thing. So you've got that, plus you've got the VAIG. Now everybody says, oh, the, you know, there's crowding and scheduling and people are gaming the system and, oh, this is terrible. Well, there's been VAIG reports about this going back 24 years, at least 24 years. You know, all of us that are on this phone call, uh, you know, here on the radio show, we know about this. This is not the first time that we've heard about this. And the IG has inspected, and they've found it, and they've written reports about it, and they've told Congress. Who's the IG reporting to? They're reporting to the Secretary, and they're reporting to Congress. The doctor out there who blew the whistle in Arizona, the first call she made was to Senator McCain's office a year ago. Now, normally when you when you make a complaint about the VA to a, a congressman, office, they write a letter to the congressional liaison and say, hey, you know, we've had this report of this problem, what do you say about it? And then give the secretary a chance to investigate and respond. Well, apparently that was never done. People who had the the best chance to spread the alarm on this a year ago are the same people that are doing most of the complaining about it now. I, again, it's just like the money. In other words, 
don't complain that the hospital's understaffed and that uh, there aren't enough hospital beds and not enough space when a week before you voted down the money to fix that problem. It seems to me that that's inconsistent behavior. Well, even McCain's office didn't do nothing about it until it become uh, uh, got into the news. Right, and then you want to do interviews, and, and I, you know, that, it seems to me that's not the right, that's that's not the role, the oversight role of Congress. So there's plenty of of blame to go around, but then the, you know, the, the question becomes, what were they doing? And of course, the FBI is investigating it. If in fact there was conduct that rises to the level of criminal conduct, they'll deal with it. And so I think, for now, I think the smartest thing for all of us to do is just wait and see what happens. I, I think that the fact that the, the FBI rarely gets involved in this. Normally this is handled as a personnel matter, and they fire somebody, and if the family's been harmed, a veteran's been harmed, they, you know, they bring a Federal Tort Claim Act action, and they sue. Um, Delaying, uh, delaying your your podiatry appointment normally isn't going to threaten your life, and it's not going to be harmed to the degree that it's going to constitute, you know, a medical malpractice claim. But we're, you know, the the rumor is we're hearing that oh, there were some more serious things, and and again, those are rumors. I'll I'll wait to see the report. Um, but suffice it to say. The system is 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 uh, strapped for capacity in some areas, and it, there's there's probably other areas too where he has some excess capacity. The idea that Congress has now finally moved ahead with, which is giving a health care card, insurance card to veterans, I have always felt that it, it was just wrong. You know, to make some 85-year-old ill veteran and his wife drive 100 miles when they could, if they had a health care card, they could go right into their local doctor and get that taken care of in 10 minutes. You know, I, I always thought that was foolishness. So that change is is coming down the pike, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a positive thing. Let's talk about those hospital records. Uh, uh, an email went around to all the beneficiaries, and I, I got one of my clients checked in. And he says, hey, he says, uh, I, do I want to sign up for this? And he's a diabetic, and he has both private health care and VA health care. And I will tell you and the listeners that the most dangerous thing in health care is when you know this old the old wives saying you know that too many cooks spoil the stew. The most dangerous thing that can happen in healthcare is when there's more than one provider and the the care is not coordinated, especially for people who have serious illnesses or they have or they have co- a complex health picture where they have more than one where there's comorbidity they have more than one illness going on. It's really dangerous. And so I say yes. Now let's talk about the abuses. Have there been abuses of, of electronic records? Can people snoop? The, the privacy cases that we have had here in Michigan, I, we've had two or three privacy cases 
around the VA medical centers. I'll tell you what they've all been. They've all been people that weren't working on the veteran's case, the patient's case, snooping. They were snooping cases of people up in that file that had no business to be in that file. And that is illegal, and you can sue about that, and they track that. So you can, if you think that's going on, you can get, you can file a complaint with the information security officer at your local VA medical center or even at the regional office. They can look and they can see who has accessed that. It's just it's tracked, just like the bank tracks who's been in in and out of your account, which tellers have worked in there. The employees have a, a numerical ID and it's in there if they go into that file and there's an audit trail. And we had one of the veterans who's a former employee out here at the Battle Creek VA and somebody snooped in her file and we went and they filed a, a lawsuit and she got a recovery out of it. But the main thing is that she let them know that she wasn't going to tolerate it. And well, I don't how know, did she, she find out that they were doing that, though? Because she was talking, these people were saying things that, you know, it's it's the talking, oh. it, it's their oh. conduct. They, You know, when people start talking about things and mentioning things that they shouldn't know about that are private, right? Right. That yeah. sort of lets the cat out of the bag. And this was someone had to be evidently someone that wasn't involved. Uh, it was primary care, right? It was it was in a setting. It was a meeting. It was a non-health care meeting. It was a business meeting, and somebody mentioned something that that would only have been available in that health record. Yeah, they had some inside baseball, see, and. It's just like insider trading. You're fine until until you go over and buy that stock, and then and then the computer flags you up because you bought that stock just before the company was sold. See, and then they come back and start looking around. Well, it, it's it's just like insider trading. You know, you have to you have there has to be some conduct later that gives you a hint, and then causes you to go back and look. But if you ask the the information security officer they'll send you a letter and they'll say well we looked and we didn't see any unauthorized access or or they'll tell you yeah we did so once they confirm that there was unauthorized access then the, then the game's on then you have to decide how bad it was was there any harm and should you go on and and file an action about it okay so they've got this new program Virtual lifetime electronic record. Certain certain parts of that uh, can can be shared back and forth. And like I said, I I think it's it's the future. That's the Affordable Care Act mandates that all these doctors' offices get set up for this electronic sharing, so that they can share back and forth. And so I think that's progress. Again, the safeguards are there. Uh, there were some of these people talking about the Affordable Care Act, and oh, you know, there's a, all this. Uh, you know, you're going, you're letting this information out there where people can get at. And what the the experts, you know, the people from the Affordable Care Act, were trying to explain to the members of Congress is no, there isn't any sensitive information in the application for the Affordable Care Act, and there isn't, except your date of birth and your address and 
and your social security number. But all that medical stuff wasn't involved in that at all. It was an application for health insurance. Well, and there are special I, uh... proto- there are special protocols and special protections for the online transmission of these medical records, just like there is bank information. Okay. So yeah, my, uh, my major concern is I'm on a lot of medication, and when I've seen this, because it's uh, really a chore. Uh, the VA prescribed some, and my doctor prescribed some. The internal medicine doctor here in town, because right. I don't, I don't want to drive 150 miles uh, every time I go to VA. But uh, and I keep them coordinated, uh, and that's quite a chore. I mean, you know, uh, as as you you know, things change, and so does your medications, and to keep each one updated uh, on X-rays and medications and 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 different deals like that. Uh, to me, this would be ideal because that way they can just go to their computer and say, "Oh, I see they done this," or they you know. They did that. Right, and and you can, there's, you know, the medical term is contraindicated. You know, one one medicine may not mix at all with another, you know. Absolutely, and, and I've run into that and had to get it corrected. So uh, it, it's extremely important to keep both sides informed of what, what each other's doing. And right now they have me, uh, silly old me, in the middle here saying, here they've done this and hope I didn't forget what to tell them, you know, or right. have wrote down. Uh, this would resolve that issue. And I think overall, uh, I'm like you, uh, uh, I, I think it's going to be a worthwhile thing uh, because anybody want to know anything about you anyway, they can just hack into your computer. So. Well, I, this will save lives because a lot of things that, uh, a lot of the accidents that happen, a lot of the medical malpractice is related to this lack of sharing, and and some, and and some of some patients are just clueless. I mean, they go to one doctor and don't even tell them they're going to the VA. Yeah, I think it's important. To, you, uh, it's a dangerous situation. You get to play with this medication. Extremely dangerous, and 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 uh, too many veterans, uh, like you say, or if they're using both, uh, uh, the VA and a a outside doctor, then then it's important to keep them updated of what each one's doing. Right. Well, let's. Um, I, I think we're all of a mind that it's a good thing, and I, I've encouraged on the show before, and I've encouraged all my clients, and I want to encourage all the listeners. If you're not signed up for my healthy vet or my e benefits, you should really get signed up now. For the people who have appeals pending, who have been working on claims. 
don't get all excited when you get signed up for my benefits and you don't see status up there. You don't see your appeal. Or you don't see different things. What's going on is that they're not jumping right in. They're, all the new cases that are coming into the VA, all the new benefits claims, are being done electronically. And they're all, so they're fully electronic. It may be that, you know, your case is a paper case, and it's going to stay a paper case for some time until they're, they're, they've got contractors slowly going through and getting these things scanned and getting them uh, automated to get rid of the paper. And you've seen some of these pictures. Many of you people have seen these these pictures of these VA file rooms, and, yes, they are that bad. They're just they're huge. Social Security used to be the same way. Social Security now is all electronic. Those file rooms are gone. Uh, one of the problems is that there's, you know, lost file. Well, you know, play. we played around here, you know, find the file games. Well, that's a big waste of time. And when you can just come in here and sit down at this computer and get right in there and there's the file and you can sort through it and find what you want, believe me, you know, your productivity just goes up 300 400 percent so those things are coming along but what you'll see on your status when you go in and log into my benefits and pull your case up the first time don't be surprised that you know you've turned in a va9 you know you've turned in a notice of disagreement and you don't see them up there you know you've got some new issues pending and they haven't been resolved yet and you don't see them on the status that's because they're still over on the paper side and apparently the position of the VA is rather than have people invest man hours in digging in there and posting everything up on the electronic side, they're just going to wait, work through, resolve those issues, and when we they come to the end of the process, then they'll make that file electronic. That's what Social Security did, and I assume that's what VA is doing. Now that... We used to hear these, you know, these automated numbers, how many files have been scanned and everything. I have to assume that at this point in time of benefits files that over half of them are electronic now. It should be well over half. And as I said earlier in the show, we, we are getting our claims file request. We're getting the files much quicker. We're still getting them in paper. We're not getting a CD with the file on it yet. But uh, I would hope that they would see the wisdom of that, and, and uh, there's a lot less postage to send me a computer disk mailer than there is to send me a great big box of paper. And all we do with the paper here is we go through and sort it out and look at it, and, and then we scan it into a computer file and send the send the paper to the veteran because we don't we've got the same storage problem here that the VA had, and we've solved it by turning these files into into computer files. So that's what's going on with with that business, and and I I think my e benefits is marching along. People are still encountering that problem we talked about, and I'm going to go over it again. This Deers account. Now in 1982, uh, 8182, uh, the Pentagon came up this thing called Deers, D E E R S. It's some acronym. I don't know what it what it's called, defense electronic, whatever. But that's the that's the payroll system. That, that That's the 
uh, automated personnel system for the Pentagon. If you were out of uniform, if you were gone from the military before 1982, and you never had any National Guard or Reserve or any reason to pull a paycheck after uh, from 1982 forward, you need a Deers account. So when you go to get the premium access to the MIE benefits, it won't it won't work, and they have to go over and get you this Deers account. Well, we had one fellow and he couldn't get his going and. We actually were at the regional office having a hearing, so when we were done, we doubled back, and we went in and sat down with a uh, with a VA rep, and he got on the computer and, and straightened it all out. So hopefully that one was straightened out. But that was one that was really off the rails, and we hadn't had any luck getting it going. But I encourage everybody to go through their mates. So for the older veterans, there may be that little glitch, with this Deers account. Uh, there actually is a prompt. Somebody said on the 1-800-827-1000 number, the, the main 800 number, that I think it was choice number six or seven or something was was trouble with, uh, with my e-benefits. And if you get on there, just tell them that you're an older veteran and you need a Deers account. And they will do that and then you're, you'll have your access uh, within a week or two. Uh, like I said, this young lady, apparently there's an app for your phone, so you can get an app for your phone, and you can just sit right there on your phone and get into this. Uh, I assume there's a there's an app, a phone app, <laughs> for the health side, so you can run your, your pharmacy and your appointments off that, too. I can on my, my healthy vet. I, I do that. Yeah. That's so. So there. But I, I wouldn't be smart enough to do that. I can barely make a phone call with mine. But uh, I can well, hire, hire a kid my, to show me. I guess. And <laughs> not. I don't have a a cell phone. I use my regular landline. Yeah. But uh, I guess if you hire some twelve-year-old, they can get you all straightened out and show you how to do this stuff. <laughs> You're about right too. Have to have an assistant, little miniature assistant, walking around with you as a radio operator. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about Roberts. Mr. Roberts got a. Uh, uh, we had a hearing in Washington, and I thought we had done a pretty good job of explaining what was going on with this. Uh, uh, with this very complicated case to this to this veterans law judge, and uh, what we had asked him to do, there were some issues that we thought needed to be remanded, and we we had we said, well, we understand that, but what we'd ask you to do is bifurcate the case, make two decisions. We think his benefits should be restored, and that you have all the information you need to do that right now. So, would you please? issue a decision restoring the benefits, and then uh, would you uh, uh, once you've got that done, you can remand the rest. We were hunting still hunting for some records and you know some of this other business. And he didn't commit himself one way or the other, but he said he'd you know, he's going to take a look at the case. Usually, you know, what they usually say, right? 
And uh, so we took it in good faith that he was going to proceed along those lines. And instead, what we got was a uh, uh, was a decision that remanded the whole mess. We also asked him, uh, we said, look, um, we, we don't feel that we can have a fair hearing at the regional office in Milwaukee. There are people working there who testified against this guy in, in federal court. And we don't feel we can get in the, and those same employees are there in charge. We don't feel that we can have due process that we can we can have any you know there it, it certainly raises the inference that you can't have a fair adjudication of this claim at that office at that office anymore. And yet he sent the whole thing back there. So that's where Mr. Roberts is right now, and uh, so we've been taking a look at that uh, as a, you know, as as a, um, what what can we do apart from just standing around and waiting? Because you can always, with the VA, you can always decide just to stand and wait and see what they do. But in this case, we don't think they're going to do anything good. And we now, the last time we were down at at uh, uh, Milwaukee on the first remand, um, I will say that they did uh, they did act very quickly because they didn't even read anything. They just turned everything down and threw a, a statement of the case at us. Unfortunately, there's about three, I think there's two statements of the case and a bunch of open issues that have never had statements of the case issued on them that have been laying around there for 10, 20 years. And so we're we're sending a letter asking them to please fix all that stuff. But one of the fundamental problems, and we went over that notice of proposed rulemaking where they were getting into the this benefits fraud area of the regulations in 38 Code of Federal Regulations, and they're up for for this revision. And we made a pretty extensive comment about that. And here's the here's the fundamental thing. You know, when we talk about due process, what Mr. Roberts has been denied is equal protection of the law. This is an equal protection case, much like a voting rights case. In other words, why should these guys get to vote and I don't get to vote? You know, you ask the question, well, what's what's the difference between my neighbor and I, you know? We should both have the right to go in and vote. We're American citizens. We both live in the same county. Why can't I vote? And so we got in. We went through this, you know, real convulsion in this country in the 50s and 60s that we were going to figure that out. And of course, the courts, the Supreme Court and other courts, said, "Look, if you got two people that live in the county." And they're, you know, they're of voting age. You gotta let them vote, and it doesn't matter if they're illiterate, and it doesn't matter if they can pass some test. You know, you gotta let them vote. Now, for a veteran, why should a veteran who's accused of of 
defrauding the government of of getting benefits that they're not entitled to, are they a second-class citizen? Are they somehow, uh, they're not entitled to the same due process that somebody over in the Social Security system gets when they're accused of that? But that's what's going on in the VA right now, because the VA does not follow the, the federal law concerning the the procedures for investigating and making an allegation and proving an allegation of benefits fraud. They don't do it. They just decided that we're the VA and we don't have to. And they have totally circumvented that entire body of federal benefits law, and Congress set up a really good system. Now, the VA has the regulations in place. They're at 38 CFR 42.1. The whole system is there. You can go and look it up. You can read it. You say, wow, that's a, that's a good system. That's fair. Except they never use it. They never let any veterans have their hearing. They never They never give the veteran the written notice of what they're accused of. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like one of those old Smokey and the Bandit movies. You know, sheriff comes up, says you're guilty, and you're guilty. Judge Roy Bean, you're in a you're in a heap of trouble, boy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, well, that's not the law. What the law says is that that the VA has to prepare a detailed written complaint allegation. And they have to be specific, not just say, well, you know, they do their current act the great. Now, you know, they put on their funny hat and they, they hold the envelope up their head and they said, uh, you're guilty of benefits fraud. Well, there ought to be something more to it than that. And there is. And when we looked into it, what we found out was that Congress had set up back in 1986, had revised the system that had been in place for over 100 years, and they they went back since before the Civil War, and they, they went back and looked at it, and they modernized it and cleaned it all up, and it's a very good system. And the way the system works is that the first thing that happens is somebody makes an allegation of, of benefits fraud. There's a little preliminary investigation. They give it to the VA attorneys. The VA attorneys look at it and say, well, yeah, we, we think, we think this is the real deal. They prepare a written complaint, and they serve that on the veteran by certified mail return receipt. So you you actually know that that veteran gets it and that veteran signs for it and sees it. And because you guys know that a lot of times mail goes astray in the VA system. They send it to addresses where you haven't lived for 25 years and all kinds of nonsense and they're always doing that around here. We moved this office in August of 2007, coming up on seven years, and we're still getting mail addressed to our old office. And we changed all those addresses. And, and for those clients, sometimes it's very strange because we've been getting mail correctly addressed right along for years and years and years, and all of a sudden they just revert back to that old address. And somebody said they have about eight or ten different computer programs that don't talk to each other. And getting back to our why should we have the VA medical computer talking to the private 
office and sharing this information because you want everybody to be reading off the same sheet of music. And operationally, VA has a huge glitch going on with having too many databases and they've got information scattered out. And that's not good management. It's not good database management. It's not good information management. It's not good work management and workflow management. And what it causes a lot of these delays and, and problems. So they have this system when they mail out this complaint, then all of a sudden you uh, you have an opportunity. The veteran has an opportunity to come back and say, okay, I agree that uh, I got these benefits and apparently I wasn't entitled to them. Uh, we've got a guy who had a, a, a bad conduct discharge. And the service officer told him to file a claim. He was a Vietnam vet. He was a combat vet. He had terrible PTSD. He filed a claim. The regional office made an award. They paid him benefits for 10 years. Then they came back and said, well, uh, we made a clear and unmistakable error because you've got, you don't have the right character of discharge. And that's okay, but he operated in good faith based on the advice given to him by a, a, a trained and professional service officer. And now the government wants to prosecute him as a felon. He didn't provide any false statements or false documents or anything. He just filled out a 21-526 like anybody would. Went to a CMP and told him what happened to him. And no, Nobody disagrees that he has PTSD and it's severe. And he didn't get in trouble in Vietnam. He got in trouble when he came home from Vietnam. He got in trouble at Fort Bragg after he, after he came home. So now he's also been denied this 42.1 process. And he hasn't had that complaint, and he hasn't had uh, an opportunity to have a hearing in front of an administrative law judge. And by the way, these administrative law judges are not VA employees. They work for the Office of Personnel Management. They're neutrals. They don't get a paycheck from the VA secretary. Veterans law judges up at the, the Board of Veterans Appeal are paid by the secretary. They are not neutrals. They are not independent. So that's where Roberts is now. He's back, uh, he's, he's back at the... Um, uh, at the Milwaukee Regional Office, we're still working. We have a Freedom of Information Act request out. We're still trying to get the the safety report on the C-54 accident, which killed Gary Holland. We haven't had any luck with that. Uh, we just keep getting the you know the runaround, but but we're getting the runaround from some 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 different people. So maybe maybe we'll we'll come into the end of the of our search. Now, was he, he charged with a felony? He was convicted of a felony. Oh. But, his, but the conviction, here's the felony he was charged with. In federal court, and this is, this is the peril for every veteran, he wasn't charged with making a false statement in federal district court. He never got to defend himself about that. He was charged with accepting 
<laughs> electronic fund transfers of VA benefits. And once the board had administratively determined that, in their opinion, he wasn't entitled to have those benefits, the IG sent his case straight over to a U.S. attorney. That is not the process. That's the, not the process in 38 CFR 42.1. And that's not the process in the rest of the federal uh, uh, False Claims Act and the, the Federal Debt Collection Act. That's not how it works at all. The way it works is that you've got to have all the administrative proceedings first, have an appeal to federal district court of that of that administrative determination about those benefits. And then once that is done, then it can be sent over for prosecution. Could that been, be classified as spoilation of, of the uh, information? Well, because he jumped sources. I mean, he he, he went out of uh, uh, procedure. Well, it's it's again, it's equal protection of the law. If, if you're if you're a social security beneficiary and you're charged with benefits fraud, you get to have a hearing. If you're if you're a veteran, you're third class, and we just straight, take you straight to prison. And the judge wouldn't allow him to to get into any of the problems about what happened with. Uh, uh, what happened with Gary Holland or any of the, of the evidence and then they said we're not going to have a trial about that and then they allowed the uh, the military retirees that killed Gary Holland to come up there and sit there and perjure themselves and lie like rugs in front of a jury mm. I mean you could hear the whistle blow all the way over here in Battle Creek it was a railroad job but they can do it to anybody Here's the here's the problem they come to you and say, well, we don't think that you were involved. We, were, we don't think you were on that ship. We don't think you were ever involved in that testing. <laughs> All your friends are dead. You can't prove it. What, the, what the, the basic allegation of the VAIG against Keith Roberts was, was, was prove that you were on duty on February 4, 1969 at Naval Air Facility, Naples, Italy. Prove what you had for lunch on February 4th, 1969. Okay? Can you do it? Not many people can. Okay? I it's can. pretty hard. I, I, I was actually there in Naples in 1969. Right. You, you arrived right, right after it? Yeah. And they were still talking about it? Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, and and it's kind of funny. I was there at the same time or around the time. Well, one of the other C fifty four pilots was out flying a mission. He wasn't there, yeah. and he said that that night that, in the wardroom that there was practically a fist fight over the way it was the rescue was handled. I bet. I mean, it, he said it got hot in the wardroom. But you know, one of the one of the problems is that, um, and 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 one of the great witnesses for the VA on this, uh, one of the statements given to the VAIG is is the guy the guy who has an 
absolute clear memory of it. Said it was really it was really terrible how that C one thirty killed that guy. Yeah. Of course it was a C fifty four. And I guess yeah. if you can't if you if if you don't remember you don't the remember C fifty four and a C one thirty, you're not much of an airplane guy. Yeah. By the way, since all this went on, we obtained the the technical orders for the C fifty four. And in yep. his in his testimony at the VA regional office, <laughs> you know, Keith explained the technical aspects of the the accident and the rescue. And everything that he said is is verified by the technical orders, by the manuals. It's all right there. So he knew his job, he was right, he was on his game. And what he wanted to do was he wanted he went he got the he went out and got the high low and had him bring in the high low. And he wanted to put the put the fork through the radome and and lift on station 13, which is the which is the the the, the rib that holds the radome, the the big strong cast aluminum casting. And he wanted to just take the, relieve the weight off of the the gear so they could get, get the gear down locked and put the jack underneath it. If they would have taken his approach, they would have had him out in five minutes, and he might have lived. Yeah. And of course, you know, everybody can say, well, that's all Monday morning quarterbacking. That's all after the fact. No, that's not. He was he was right there. There were other people that supported that position. And um, Lieutenant Commander Truesdale said he didn't want to further damage the Admiral's aircraft. Yeah. A person's life is at stake. You damage it. Well, but, but you know, you're you're in Airedale, so we can talk about yeah. this. You know, somebody, yeah. somebody asked me, and, of course, I'm a Vietnam vet. I'm a draftee, and I spent my time out in the jungle. But somebody said, well, isn't that kind of a terrible attitude? And I said, look. It was the draft. It was Vietnam. I said, there were going to be 100 kids showing up at the Navy recruiter on Monday morning. They got their draft notices. And, you know, you can say it's cold, but there were, you know, the Navy at that point in time didn't value its personnel very much. Yeah. Because they they were easily replaced. You know, forget the fact that the the taxpayers had just spent 100 $150,000 $150,000 training Mr. Holland you know that forget that because that doesn't count and uh, you know and, I, and I'm I'm not I, I would I would say that even with our volunteer force today that there's attitudes you know in in the in uniform in uniform that they're mistreating, that they're mistreating people the same way today yeah but in any event, um, we've never gotten the safety report on the aircraft. Roberts, Chief Hill had Roberts and the other guys sit down and write out their statements because he knew that the investigators would be coming around. And he's absolutely confident that his sworn affidavit is in that report. But we've never been able to get a hold of it. Now... One of the things, because because we're we're out of, 
you guys know about the statute that says that if on the 61st day that you're incarcerated, your benefits drop down to 10%, right? Yes. Okay. So to further make your head hurt, Roberts, the court said that Roberts, even though he had PTSD, he also had a diagnosis of dysthymia. And by the way, his his uh, he was he had mental hospitalization on active duty in the service. Okay, he was treated in the service on active duty. This is not delayed onset. This was this was this was diagnosed and treated in service. Therefore, uh, it's presumed right. So it's difficult to escape. So if you take away his PTSD. He still has his dysthymia, and that should have kicked in. Now, if you if you say that he wrongfully received two hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars in benefits, but then oh, but wait a minute, as one of the regional office witnesses in the in the criminal trial said, oh, but wait a minute, there are other claims and there are other things and he was qualified for pension, you can't charge him for the whole amount because you have to, if you take away his comp, his pension will kick back in. Okay. So you you have to accurately calculate the amount. That's what the administrative law judge is charged with doing, is coming up with a some certain, figuring up the bill, right? In other words, figure up the final bill. This is the sum certain. This is the these are the real the real and accurate damages to the government, and then that's the amount that you can prosecute on. Well, that was never done, and so what they did is they just made up some numbers at the sentencing hearing for this guy in, in district federal district court. The problem is that now the VA has submitted a bill for the exact same damages, and he's being double billed. <laughs> Make your head hurt yet? Oh, wait, it gets better because we just talked about the fact that on the 61st day, your money drops down. So even though the VA should be paying this guy for dysthymia, which may kick back in very soon, and he will get a retro award, the retro award's going to get seized by the VA who owes it to them. It's going to get seized by justice because they think he owes the money. And then, and then the money's going to get cut get back to ten percent for the period that he was incarcerated. But of course, he shouldn't have been incarcerated in the first place. So we take, we get rid of the incarceration. Then we got to put the money back. Is your head hurting yet? Yeah. Are you with me here? Back and forth. Yep. Do you see why Congress put this process in place? You know, we're always critical of Congress, but, you know, sometimes they get it right. And this is a case where the process would work pretty well. It works very well over in Social Security. How well? Well, in, in the, I, I, I did a FOIA, and for 13,000 cases, the allegations of fraud, I think they got down 13,000. They got down to where they're... About 1,300 of them were real fraud, and of that, there were about 300 criminal convictions. Yeah. Those are the numbers you would expect, you know. Uh, 
my guy uh, that we talked about earlier, the guy who had the bad conduct discharge after he came back from Vietnam, uh-huh. he's not a felon. And and he should actually have a waiver because it's administrative error on the part of the VA that they gave him benefits. He never hid anything from them. They had his DD-214 sitting right there. If they're too stupid to read it, why should he? Why should he be penalized? Yeah, you know they should have sent him. A, they should have sent him a decision. And you know they didn't have to give him a CMP. He had a bad conduct discharge. They should have given given him uh, just a denial. You know, a character discharge denial. If you've ever seen one of those, they're only two pages long. You don't have the proper. Uh, you're. you're your character discharge is such that you can't receive benefits. Sorry, we have to we have to turn down your claim. You can go to the board for correction of military records if you want to. Couldn't he he uh, institute a correction of of uh, of that DD two fourteen? Well, they they tried it a long time ago. You know, that's that's like a hand that's grenade. Like a hand grenade. That's yeah, a one shot deal. Okay, I think we're running out of time here. I wanted to thank you guys yeah, for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Bob. It, you give us some really good information here. And um, I, I'm certain, I, I, I know I, for one, is going to take advantage of this this new thing they got going for the health information. Yep, I think it's. I think everybody should. I think it's a wonderful program, and I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look forward to seeing some feedback on these uh, healthcare cards. I understand that Maine already is the test bed for that, and the guys have been using that. Uh, have been getting their healthcare cards for a while, so they can go to their private docs instead of coming into the VA. Yeah. Well, let's hope they get that going real good. All right. Thanks a okay. lot, Bob. All right, thanks. You guys have a real great 4th of July. Have a safe one. You too, and be careful. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right. See you later, Gerald. Okay, be careful, Mike. Okay.